Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Hey, it's a me! It's a whole deal! Wizard! <laughs> Does that work? And it's me, the cool puppet doll thing. I'm a star warrior that was sent from God. From God, maybe? I got guns for hands and guns for fingers, and I got guns for elbows. I'm Gino, and I'm mysterious, and you're going to be obsessed with me because you're seven years old and have never seen a cool warrior character in a game before. Bruiser Jake. And behold, it is IQLEX, oh, the secret Final Fantasy boss. What the fuck are you? If you look at me, you will go mad. What the fuck are you? <laughs> Holy shit. And that's right. If you didn't guess until now, I, 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 oh, no, I wonder who I got it. I got finally it. hits play on episodes, though. Yeah, uh, without looking at the title. On but we were talking instinct, about Super Mario RPG. Just tapping randomly at their phone, not even looking at the screen. You maniac! <laughs> you crazy, crazy person that does this. We're talking about Super Mario RPG: Legend of the Seven Stars. Jake, Super Mario RPG. It is the only one just for me. When I play the game, I get lost in a phase. Then I find out I'm stuck in Geno's maze. Super Mario RPG. It is the only one just for me. When I play the game, I get lost in a phase. Then I find out I'm stuck in Geno's maze. Give me frog coins. Give me ice bones. Give me frog coins. Give me mushrooms. Give me Sia. Give me star rats. Give me cookies. Give me Lensler. Trust me. If you spent time on Newgrounds in exactly 2003, you're going to really love that jam I just dropped. Yeah, I need out of this era of the internet. That is just absolutely random with no, the zero jam. No, it is not. It is not because Super <laughs> Mario RPG was a late game in the Super Nintendo's lifespan. And it was for many, many, many people... Their first just like baby step into the world of Japanese role playing games or jerpagas as they're more commonly known. Yes, of course. Jerpagas uh, are favorite way to play games. Final Fantasy, Dragon's Quest, uh, the Saga series, all great jerpagas of the era. Hell yeah, dude. But there was a problem, and that was uh, Americans were not so hot on them while Japanese players were losing their shit constantly for 10 years straight over them. Hey, I was hot as shit on them, Jake. Are you kidding me? What? I mean, I guess it came I guess it came later. I guess it did 
come with, uh, I, for me, I guess the first one was Final Fantasy VII. Well, so, we'll get to you that. Know, I'm, I'm, I'm further along. Uh, I'm after Square bitched out on Nintendo and moved over to the PlayStation, which we will get to. Uh, but, and, and, but I think for a lot of people, 1996's Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars was that gateway drug into the realm of JRPGs, which is such an acquired taste. I, re- I remember when my fir- first time I sat down with Final Fantasy VII, I'm like, what are we doing? We're menu fighting? Like, what does this even mean? Like, What do you mean I have to, we're waiting for our, I know they use the uh, action timer or whatever they use, that system's called where it was like more dynamic than just waiting your turn. Yeah. But like, you're waiting your turn? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I play Mario. I play Street Fighter. I hit a button, something happens immediately, and now you're telling me to wait around? That's fucking crazy. No, the craziest was when I'm using spells. Spells are badass. Dude, what am I? What is this game even? I'm killing everybody with these fucking spells, bro. I'm fucking spelling everybody to death. And then, out of boom, magic that points. MP, yeah, that <laughs> MP bar dissipates. And I go, what? Wait a second. What? I have to conserve this? And now I have nothing for the final boss? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me I got resources I need to manage? What I mean, the fuck? It totally blew me away. And I think that it would have, the world would have probably made a lot more sense if I had played. Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars back when it came out, but I was not a Super Nintendo kid. And on top of that, it was definitely one of those games where I was like, whoa, they're still making games for the <laughs> Super Nintendo? It was so late in the cycle. It it, it well, was crazy. That is also one of the funny things about Super Mario RPG is that, you know, here it is, this massive collaboration, this huge, incredible, you know, a 32 megabit cartridge which was unprecedented if we, uh, for, I think that's four megabytes of data. In contrast, Super Mario World took up like maybe 500 kilobytes of data when all is said and done. So like this massive multimedia experience with cutting edge pre-rendered CG graphics, which was the style at the time. Thank you, Donkey Kong Country. Exactly. If it looked like Donkey Kong Country, I was in. And they even included that weird like, uh, SNM like chained up freak Donkey Kong is one of the villain characters, the gorilla. Yeah, Boner Kong. He, he might as well have been called Boner <laughs> Kong. I, he's very upsetting to look at. Oh, wait, what are we talking about? April hit it! Fucking early, bitches, but we can't fucking bring up the DK without hearing the blaster. We can't get into the DK without hitting the, hitting the hits. <sighs> the point is... For all the fanfare, for all the rigmarole, this was the most advanced Mario game ever made for a couple of months because uh, Mario 64 came out not too long afterwards. Which, by the way, this feels so weird because clearly we're doing this. If you weren't aware, Super Mario RPG is Legend of Seven Stars is getting the remake treatment on uh, the Switch. And one of my thoughts was... I can't believe how closely this game is coming out on the heels of Super Mario Wonder, which, uh, if you're listening to this way in the future, first of all, fucking flying cars, right? How cool is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. shit? I, probably all, a lot of aerial <laughs> fireball deaths, if yeah. I have to imagine. I'm sorry you're going through that. And it's weird that vaping turned into these like globules of jello that you stick in your mouth oh, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. smoke comes out. Mm-hmm. I hate that they t- they turned into that. I don't get also, that. Also, uh, I know all of your, your nieces and nephews, all the Gen Alphas are into... Uh, uh, the orb, just coveting, uh, gazing into it, um, just humming at it while lights and sounds you can't comprehend emit from it. 
really like talk to your talk to you talk to a young person about how they're loving their orb these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do that and uh definitely just want to throw it out. All hail President Millie Bobby Brown. Oh wow. Really cool that she uh got elected so quickly, so fully. Uh but anyways, back to uh back to here where we are in this time. Uh Super Mario Wonder just came out. It's a big hit from uh what I have seen. And Super Mario RPG remake just right around the corner, but it is such a different experience, as similar, even though they nail the Mario ness of it, that I feel like people are still going to be really hype and uh, pick this thing up, and I know I will because let's get into the gush a little bit too here, uh, really quick, because it's not a big gush, it's not a big thick gooey gush that's all on my all over my hands and my shirt <laughs> and the poor woman I'm with in the room. It's a small gush. It's a light gush because I didn't have the SNES and it wasn't even the kind of situation where I'd go to a friend's house and play it because A, it's an RPG. It's kind of hard to jump into it at a friend's house. Mm -hmm. B, at this point, even my friends who had an SNES are getting an N64 and no one's kind of caring about the SNES, you know? So so I never really gave it a shot. uh, At one point, I got a hold of it Oh, I wonder when this was. Was this on the Wii Virtual Console or was it like on? I think I got, no, I think I picked it up on an emulator Mm. because I had a Super Nintendo emulator in college. This is a big, so 2003, same era as the fucking Newgrounds thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Tons of people either are reconnecting with this game through emulation and making sprite comics and flash animations all about it. Or the two million hardcore uh, Nintendo heads that had this incredibly rich experience with their first RPG finally are like connected via the internet with each other and can share their fucking weird ass uh, just obsessions with like, man, wasn't Gino so fucking cool? Or like, God damn, what was crazy when Valentina, you hit her with a physical attack and her boobs went all Gonzi wants. All right, Jake, please. Can you play? I'm sorry, Holden, dude. Uh, they, this is a big deal. In the remake, they completely got rid of Valentina's jiggle physics in her big boss battle. And a lot of people really felt, I'm going to say, demonically compelled to comment on this censorship. No, Jake, I know that and I'm fine with that, but you're literally vibrating and it's making me <laughs> nauseous on the Zoom screen. Okay? That's because I got my own jiggle physics, baby. Watch out. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> All right. Give him some mouth jello, please. This guy needs some tobacco. So exactly for me, I think I played it for, for a decent chunk of it back then. Uh, and uh, didn't give it enough props. And I, I've watched a bunch of like, moments and play through stuff uh, because unfortunately this game is the remake's not coming out until until after the, this episode drops so it's all been let's play kind of watching uh to get ready for this episode which has been fine jake you got an emulator and actually been playing it uh which is amazing i got the emulator i've been playing it i made it to the axum rangers again we only have so many days to do stuff and i have to like i'm also a human being but i was thoroughly charmed by the game and uh, the music, the way that they handled cutscenes, the uh, the unique cast of original characters, and realizing that, like, for its time, this was the first time we saw Bowser as this kind of overcompensating, insecure kind of villain with a with like a relatable heart to him. Yeah, that was completely original. The idea that Bowser was part of your party was revolutionary at the time. I mean, characterization in general. I mean, there was so much 
personality left on the table up until this point because Mario not does not counting the D cartoons which were not which were not yeah because outside of that you just have these platformer games with very little story involved i mean super mario world had some but you know it's it's very very sparing so you kind of create your own idea of what the characters are like and how they interact with each other, but it can really be whatever you want to make it outside of like, these are the Koopalings, this is Koopa, and it's very cut and dry. It's just like, stole the princess, yada, yada, yada. So this is really the first time that we get this very distinct understanding of like what these characters are really like, and it set the stage for the future of Mario and Nintendo, not just for the other RPG games that came after, of which there were several, between Paper Mario and the Mario and Luigi series, but also just the mainline platformers and the 3D games and everything, right? I mean, yes, we don't hear Mario's voice until Mario 64. But outside of that, we get a full understanding of, you know, a lot of these characters, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say also weird new characters that, like, whoa, you whoa, rarely whoa. Name saw again. one weird thing about Booster. <laughs> Booster, the loud, hairy, Viking shogun man who's obsessed with marrying Princess Peach, but who seemingly has no idea of what sex or kissing is. Who knows Wait, what's weird about that guy? Who knows what's weird about that guy? But what I do know is... Name one weird thing about Frog Fucius. <laughs> Why, why is Frog Fucius upsetting to you? But, like, I do know this, that, like, this set the template for the comedic voice of the whole series. Mm-hmm. And you get that in the, you know, mainline games, but especially you get you continue to get that wonderfully in so many Paper Marios that came after it. And the Mario and Luigi series is known for its comedy writing, mm-hmm. which is so special for Nintendo to be, because to, comedy games are rare. Comedy games are very, very rare. Not made by rare. Some are made by rare because <laughs> of Conker's Bad Fur Day. Wonderful, right? The shit monster. Good save, good save. You know. The Great Mighty Poo. We, folks, we love the Great Mighty We love the Great Mighty Poo, yeah. I made a Great Mighty Poo the other day <laughs> in my toilet. I, I I was like a scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I had a spoon and, uh, oh, and no, was like, no, what are you no, doing? I was no, like, I, I'm creating riff, the great. No, Jake, silence. listen to it. Hear this. This, is not, this riff this. is not approved by the Whizbrew Council. This riff has been sent to the Shadow Realm. April hit it! There you go. Saved by the DK rap. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, 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 there's not a lot of comedy games out there. And so when they are out there, when they hit and they're good, because it's really hard to make one. And when they fail, it's glaringly obvious. And Nintendo has had a lot of comedy hits in the in the world of video games in a way. And it's all because of this particular game that 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 sets this stage for so many wonderful things to come after it and and gives us all these great characterizations and just really says like hey we can actually build a world here mm-hmm. and like play play with the all these little these these weird wacky kind of splashy character designs that we created just so that you would like get you know Buy a Nintendo Entertainment System back in the day, and now and now they're all getting developed and, and fleshed out, and and it's it's really cool to see. And then on top of that, you know, yes, you could definitely look at it as Baby's First RPG in certain ways, like for sure. And I think that's the way I looked at it when I played it initially in college, which is why I didn't finish it mm-hmm. because I feel like I was like, 
I, pu- I beat Final Fantasy VII. I beat the Ruby Weapon. <laughs> What's this kid shit? You know what I mean? And I didn't really respect it for what it was. You still would have gotten your ass kicked by Culex. Yes, That's- Culex would have fucked me up. I wish I had known about Culex's existence, honestly, back then, because I probably would have been like, oh, hell yeah. There's like- an amazing thing. Um, I didn't I didn't unlock Culex because you have to do like a fetch quest uh, to get like the one item that opens the door to the boss fight, and I just didn't have time for it. But in Monstro Town, where you you encounter him behind a locked door, the door next to him has a bunch of friendly monsters, and there's like a piranha plant that's like, man, I've been hearing weird stuff next door from the. I've been hearing weird stuff through the walls from the guy next door. Keeps yelling about crystals <laughs> and the darkness. <laughs> BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. That's like, yeah, exactly. It's all that stuff. It's all that stuff. And they get really meta too, which is fun, very self aware. And it just showed personality that Nintendo hadn't shown before. But oh, yeah. And I was going to say, and on top of that, these really interesting, and now they're totally like standard ass practice for JRPGs, but at the time, really novel. Uh, approach to fighting in JRPGs so that they could avoid you feeling like you're just selecting items from a menu and you're doing a little bit more there, you know? The action commands are great. Yeah. You know, if you hit the A button at the proper time, your character will do extra damage, your spells will do extra damage, you hit the block button at the right time with, like, frame-perfect timing, you can, like, avoid damage. It definitely keeps you involved, but... The game is not perfect. How dare you? You know, there's tons of platforming segments that in the isometric perspective are really confusing and hard to nail down. Uh, It's very easy to get lost or kind of like overwhelmed by various puzzles that like if you don't have a game fact handy, you could like hit a a, like just hit a wall and have to like just go and talk to every fucking villager in the last fucking eight worlds you visited and find the one thing that opens up the next world. And the fights do get very repetitive, especially if you've like leveled up everything and you just have your, you know, what happens in a lot, you just have your minimum base. Like I know I can win every fight by like hitting these three buttons in a row. But that being said, this was made to introduce people to the JRPG and this was a nut that Square had been trying to crack for a long time. And while Super Mario RPG was definitely uh, uh, successful, the irony that they really hit their heights in the West by splitting with mm-hmm. Nintendo after this incredible collaboration, releasing Final Fantasy VII 
on the uh, PlayStation with the CD-ROM drive and all the cool FMVs and assets. Also, while using the same silicon graphics workstations that they had kind of bought and built to do for Super Mario RPG for all the backgrounds and everything is like there's something kind of uh, crazy about that. Yeah, for sure. That like Super Mario RPG was this moment where these two titans that had uh, just been like desperate for each other's magic juice made this beautiful thing, this singular thing, and then immediately parted ways. And the remake is coming up. And honest, I'm going to be honest, it looks a little clean. It looks a little too flat. It looks like, in, I, I basically, I'm, I'm not mistaken, they just bought the rights back from Square Enix. And this is a like Nintendo production with like, pre- thank you to Square for the characters. And without that like chunky pre-rendered look, without that bulbous silicon graphics workstation aesthetic, I feel like there's something lost in translation. And I feel like the original SNES game is such a perfect snapshot of the capabilities of the Japanese gaming industry of that moment that if you've never played it, it's definitely worth giving it a spin or at least like getting your hands on it before the remake comes out, because I think it's truly something special. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm sad. I, I, uh, uh, didn't manage to get around to getting the whole, you know, uh, emulator thing run- cranking, but I am excited to play this remake. I don't mind the look as much as you do. I, I really enjoyed that Link's Awakening remake, and it's very much in line with that graphical style. And to me, it's more about the mechanics the the dialogue, all that stuff, re-experiencing all that stuff. And I am excited, at least there's like flashier cutscenes, uh, that sort of thing. But regardless, I, but yes, there's such a charm to that original isometric Donkey Kong country approach to the graphics and everything. And it, it would be fun if you could at least um, flip it. I think you can do that with the soundtrack or oh, the score. I think they give you the option that's great. to hear the original score. That score is amazing. But it would be cool to do a graphics switch and look at it old school, but of course that'd probably take way too much work. But regardless, I am very excited that Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, the original game released in 1996 in the SNES, is getting that remake treatment. Uh, by the way, the game was directed by Chihiro Fujioka and Yoshihiko Meikawa and produced by Shigeru Miyamoto, stop me for that one before. It is uh, both the first RPG in the Mario franchise as well as the first game to place Mario in an isometric 3D environment, among many things. I think the biggest thing, though, is the partnership between Nintendo and Square. Let's get into it. I First off, I've got a very brief history of Nintendo and a very brief, extremely brief history of Square. Oh, come on. How many times do we have to say the words, leave luck to heaven, and talk <laughs> about Hanafuda cards? Every... If you're listening to this, you know about the goddamn Hanafuda card. Yes, they started out making, uh, they started out working for the Yakuza. That's pretty cool. They're bad guys. Well, you know, it's kind of Kazuma Kiryu-chan. Nintendo was kind of ballsy and badass. They they started out as Nintendo Kopai in 1889 initially to make these Hanafuda cards, which were used in Yakuza-run gaming parlors, and they beat out the competition because the competition was too scared to get involved <laughs> in that business. So they essentially were just the only company with the with the fucking nads <laughs> to, to deal with Yakuza shit uh, and produce these things uh, as gambling was illegal 
on, on you know, in Japan uh, at the Famed time. Nintendo president, Nads Yamauchi. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know. Yeah, they just coming in swinging like a tanuki. Every bi- he came in pantsless to every business meeting. Massive balls just colliding with furniture. Yeah, he had scrotal muscles, which no, <laughs> has been, never been seen before or since. He's literally like he could flex his scrotum and hurt people with it. Uh, which was a character originally in Legend of the Seven Stars, mm-hmm. but they ended up removing it because children were crying every time the character <laughs> came on the screen. But yeah, they they uh, they ended up uh, branching out into playing cards in the early 1900s, uh, and then you know cut to all this time later, 1965. Nintendo hires a young Gunpei Yokoi to maintain their assembly line machines used for these playing cards to make them. And in 1969, Yokoi has moved over to a newly established research and development department led by Hiroshi Imanashi, and they get into the electronic toy business. Uh, in the mid 70s, Shigeru Miyamoto joined Yokoi's R and D team, and and inspired by the Atari console, they pushed further into video games and hit it big uh, all around the world with the handheld Game & Watch, pre-Game Boy uh, handheld, and the Nintendo Entertainment System in the 80s, which, of course, obviously, they cement their dominance later in the late 80s, early 90s with the Game Boy and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Cut over to Square, Square Enix Holdings Co. Limited. This is the result of a merger in 2003 between the companies, but this is well before that. So you might know them as Square Enix, but we're referring to them as Square because Square initially was founded in 1983 by the son of an electric uh, power mogul, who had no interest in following his father's footsteps. Instead, Masafumi Miyamoto was interested in them gosh dang newfangled video games. So Square was born. And instead of the trend at the time of having just one person make a single video game, I thought this was interesting. It was Miyamoto's idea. It was like, it should be like a film production or something like that. It should be a team. There should be a graphics person, a programmer, writers and we should have we should curate you know this this crew to make a game instead of just like weed smoking bill you know over at atari making fucking hey 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 weed smoking bill over at atari did a lot of foundational work <laughs> creating the first easter egg sure but uh you know everything looked bad and sounded worse so it was good to get a team together of like people who are actually specialized in these things. And as legend would have it, after several failed games from Square, they decided to make one last game, mm. which was based on the success of Dragon Quest in 1985, which I believe was made by Enix, yes? Mm-hmm. And so they made Final Fantasy, of course titled that because it was their final attempt at a, what a, you know that shit, okay? Caves, find your house, but look, it's interesting. Because uh, they're going to merge. And no one would have thought it. This is such an odd couple to Japanese game developers. It's like if Coke and Pepsi merged and created Coke-Pepsi. It's like unheard of. She created Pepsi once. (laughs) And then we never talk. And then like never again. The Final Fantasy series... Helmed by, you know, the Gooch himself, Gooch. Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi, was incredible because it brought all of the, uh, it brought this larger than life fantasy adventure to the very limited hardware of the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. You know, you could basically produce an entire season's worth of anime adventures and people were eager to experience that with this uh, gameplay style where you get to control your uh you get to watch numbers go up you get better armor you get experience points you like differentiate the jobs and roles of various heroes and they iterate and iterate on this and 
Japanese gamers love this deeply. The series between Dragon Quest, aka Dragon Warrior in the West, and Final Fantasy. You know, there was uh, legends that like entire like work would shut down on release day for these games in Japan because everyone would take the day off to just start playing these things. And the issue was the phenomenon was really just concentrated in Japan. The rest of the world found the games too complicated, too long, too, too text heavy, boring, and they couldn't quite figure out how to crack that nut. And so Square taps on Chihiro Fujioka, who previously worked on the, uh, I believe, in the West, it was Final Fantasy Legends. Yes. But in Japan, it was known as the Saga series, and it still exists to this day, um, which was a Game Boy uh, JRPG that, again, did not really hit in the West. Also, also, he is, did you mention he's initially a composer oh, for, on that? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So he was initially a composer. Uh, and yes, Final Fantasy Legend 3 was the uh, the first game he did, Game Boy game, uh, which he did the music for. And then he transitioned over to writer for the Super Nintendo game, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. So Mystic Quest was Square's swing for the fences that, like, all right. You fucking dumb Americans. We're going to hold your hand through this. We get it. You ain't like Raiden. Yeah. All right. We get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Final Fantasy Mystic Quest is just landed with a fucking thuddy duddy nothing. The game itself has been uh, just lambasted for being so simple that it's like there's no twist. There's no like big metaphysical like thing at the end there's no betrayal there's no like it's just hero you must get crystal to save kingdom you only get one party member at a time because they thought you had to understand party members and even then the party members are like way overpowered so you're like but your character is just kind of taking a back seat to cooler more powerful characters you meet along the way and it just does not land it sells terribly and Square is really just like, they're like, what the fuck are we doing wrong here? Yeah, it was crazy. Electronics Gaming Monthly, their review was titled Final Fantasy Mystic Mess. <laughs> Why Square should lock themselves inside of a dark room and set themselves on fire to death, which I thought was a little harsh. I thought that was a little mean. Ninja X at GamePro just like uh, drew a man shitting on a cartridge. <laughs> yeah. Which was like a very non-traditional, you know, it set the pace for like a lot of later YouTube-based video game reviews. Yeah, they were like, this game is indicative of the idea that maybe Japanese people... In general, not the best. It was like it was like wild stuff. It was like not since stuff. World War II yeah. have I hated the Japanese people more virulently than I am playing. Yeah, it's crazy what this game did. There were riots in the streets. Oh no, I'm thinking of Evangelion. But uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely this frustrating time for them. They you know, and they they were wondering like, how do we get this this incredibly successful thing here in Japan over? In America, uh, desperately, because because it's always the thing with so much so video games, Japan, music, stuff like that. It's always the big final frontier is crossing over to the U.S. Because once you get that market, you're looking at bagillions of uh, in profits. Now, at the same time, Nintendo was looking at Square's monster success in Japan and going like, man, it's so cool. They get to make these like crazy elaborate games with these long story structures that people can like really get lost in. 
that's so cool. We want to do that too. And especially Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, you know, Mario's daddy had a bug up his butt to make an RPG that featured Mario and just the, the, the aligning of the stars was right. And at this point, Square and Nintendo's relationship was solid enough because they both made a ton of money for each other that Shigeru Miyamoto reached out to Square and said, hey, we want to make a Mario RPG. You guys want in on this. Yeah, another uh, value add for Square teaming with Nintendo is the audience because they had a certain demographic but they really wanted to apply to as wide of an audience as possible with the game. They wanted to get the youth. They wanted to get the ladies. They wanted to get everybody in on one game. And that's what Nintendo did the best, still does the best. You know, everybody loves Nintendo. Hey, we built an entire live show around Nintendo because uh, we were paired with Page 7 for our tour. (laughs) And we felt that it would be the most like, Accessible, accessible topic to <laughs> talk about, at least within video games. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Miyamoto said another big point was to make an RPG where no blood is shed and figuring that out because so much, you know, RPGs is based on battling, attacking. You know, I think a big issue for them was like weapons and how they were going to handle that in a Super Mario RPG. Well, that's, uh, first of all, I love that you got that quote because I know you got it from our longtime source Ah! and beloved, beloved uh, resource for translated Japanese developer interviews uh, from Games Past, Shmuplations. Shmuplations, baby. How you guys doing? Good. Uh, I was so thrilled when I was getting that initial Google going and Smopulations immediately put an interview from 1995 up. Uh, was the first uh, thing to click on. Yeah, it was fantastic. Me shmoopulations to everybody listening right now. Yeah. So this is where the collaboration begins is Square wants a crossover hit. Nintendo wants a big fancy RPG and the two are ready to get along. And uh, Fujioka talks about, uh, you mentioned how um, Miyamoto wa- didn't want blood, didn't want like hyper-violence. And one of the first things that was submitted to Nintendo was Mario holding a sword <laughs> on a horse like a knight. <laughs> and Miyamoto was like, no, no, Mario doesn't stab people. We can't do this, which is kind of amazing because if the plot, the core plot of Super Mario RPG is that the Mushroom Kingdom is invaded by this extra-dimensional weapon society. Yeah, yeah. This, like, evil mechanical king named Smithy literally just shoves a giant sword with a spooky face through Bowser's castle, and it disrupts everything in the Mushroom Kingdom. Literally, the presence of bladed weapons threatens to bring down the entire Mario universe because it is so foreign and unknowable to the otherwise soft and friendly world Uh that Mario has dwelled in this entire time. I think it's brilliant. Director Chihiro Fujioka had this to say about working with Nintendo. We had periodic meetings with Miyamoto, and he thought the majority of our ideas were interesting. He would rarely say a certain idea was bad. Rather, he would point out how if we change this or rearrange that, it would be more interesting and more Mario-like. 
He gave us a lot of advice like that, which we use to adjust things in the game. He also said getting everything straight during that first phase of development really took a long time. Mario is Nintendo's character, so there was a lot of back and forth with them, searching for a way forward that would satisfy both Square and Nintendo. Miyamoto is also on the main team, so yeah, I mean, it just took a really long time before we could get down to brass tacks. And in that uh, initial phase, they chose the basic systems, uh, as well as that isometric view. Those are like the things they really landed on for that stuff. But there was a lot of argument over what is and is not Mario and what needs to be in the game to make it a Mario game and other choices that they made that went against the Mario aesthetic. Fujioka said... The main concern for all involved was that we didn't want to make a normal RPG that simply substituted in Mario characters, like some cheap Final Fantasy sprite swap. And yet, the basic core of the game was Mario. I mean, the title has RPG in it, so we knew that much, but should it be an action RPG, a turn-based RPG, or something else? Our answer was, it's a Mario RPG, which means an RPG featuring things that only Mario can do. Jumping, dashing, and so forth. It may sound strange for us to put it this way, but Square has made various kinds of RPGs, Final Fantasy, Seiken Densetsu, Romancing Saga, and those established series can actually act as restrictions on our ideas. Once we freed ourselves of them, we were able to say, okay, let's just make a world that brings out the best of Mario. Supposedly, and I saw this mentioned in a lot of uh, YouTube retrospectives, but I couldn't find hard evidence, I but... Miyamoto and Fujioka took an early build of the game to a Japanese pop culture event called like the V Jump Festival. I had to have been either 95 or 94. And they just like put it up to the playtesters. Hey, do you want Mario to have swords and spells or do you want him to have like jumps and fireballs? And the overwhelming number of respondents wanted to keep Mario in his classic Mario framing yeah. and not just have Mario with a gun, which is Gino. Fujioka said another thing was that before we even got started making Mario RPGs specifically, we had this preconception at Square that RPGs equals weapons. As our conversations progressed with Miyamoto, however, it became clear that this would be weird for a Mario game, that it didn't seem to fit. When we realized that, it was a huge change in the direction of the development. We had always imagined the enemies would have weapons, though. One thing we did leave in was the hammer, which Miyamoto insisted on having. Personally, I think getting hit with a hammer is more painful than being cut with a sword. <laughs> which I thought was funny. But uh, Fujioka's a funny guy. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a reason why the game is super funny. There's a reason why uh, Mario and Luigi, uh, I believe Superstar Saga, mm-hmm. is the one he they brought him back for is a really funny game. Uh, I watched an interview with him on the YouTube channel MinMax, and like he, that's where he casually dropped that, like, hey, you know, if uh, the remake's a hit, I'd be happy to come on board for Mario RPG 2. Mm-hmm. Just saying. No, he's a very funny guy. Of Like... You know, he was a drummer for a prog rock band called (laughs) Mr. Serious. The man clearly does not take himself too seriously. The team felt they really also needed to nail down Mario's movement in the game to make it feel truly like a Mario game and still be an RPG. Fujioka said, 
I think the essence of Mario lies in his movement, the way he jumps, jumping on enemies to destroy them, transforming with mushrooms, running like mad after you get invincibility from a star. In other words, how the controls feel. Mario games are very tactile. You're always pressing buttons. So they threw in the mechanic of having Mario's jumps and dashes be a way of avoiding enemies. And also, they come with risks, like in a Mario game. You also have some platforming, as you mentioned before, for better or for worse. They did, however, also want to include a mechanic that was almost like a, a minish cap, like Legend of Zelda, like where you Mario would eat a mushroom and he would get bigger. No, no, no. It's not like minish. It's just like the original Mario games right. that like he would just be small Mario and then be Super Mario when he ate a mushroom. Well, I, what I mean by minish cap is, but then there would be certain dungeons that only small Mario could enter. Uh. And that would be a part of the mechanic of it. But I think it, at the end of the day, from what it sounded like, it just looked too goofy. Yeah. It just looked too stupid. There's a section in the uh, sunken, uh, the sunken treasure ship level where it's an optional thing, but you have to like, you're basically plopped in the middle of like a cubic maze and you have to navigate it without really seeing where you are. And it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever had to do in a game. (laughs) So I'm glad they didn't do anything like that more. Uh, That's also where you meet Jonathan Jones, the pissed off shark that I can't tell if it's a JoJo reference or not. <laughs> uh, also, also, Fujioka did, wasn't just like your standard director on a game. He said, I worked on a lot of the set pieces in Mario RPG and drew a lot of the maps myself. We had some amazingly talented programmers and they set up the base program for me and I created scripted scenes on top of that. So he's really like, uh, he is elbow deep in the making of this game in every aspect. And it's really wild to see. I'm always curious when I see a story like this, how the fuck did this guy go from making, like, writing on a failed Super Nintendo Final Fantasy to getting to direct this game? Was it maybe because they thought, like, this game wasn't going to, like, be shit? That can't be true because they definitely put a lot of resources in, I mean, Sakaguchi it. was the Final Fantasy guy, so they just got the Final Fantasy, you know, he was busy. They got another guy who made popular-ish games and the, the Saga series, the Chris, the Final Fantasy Legend series, you know, he's worked with Nintendo before. It makes sense. He also did talk about how during that time he had access to the Final Fantasies that hadn't even come out yet, stuff like that. So he was playing the shit out of Final Fantasy VI, also known as Final Fantasy III in the States, uh, as well as, you know, four and five before it, but especially six. And if you don't know, I mean, you got uh, Final Fantasy VI, one of the best JRPGs ever made. That's the game he was obsessed with just before going into this game. So I think he did also have an understanding. And, you know, in that game, like we, we're talking about uh, uh, the Mario fighting mechanics as if they're novel, but you see a decent amount that, you know, you're suplexing trains mm-hmm. in uh, Final Fantasy VI. There's, it's very, the battle system is deceptively really active in that in that game uh, as you can get different party members and stuff. So I, I feel like he was greatly inspired by that game for this one. One of the things that the Final Fantasy games did, especially in the 16-bit era, was a lot of, like, in-engine storytelling where a lot of, like, the very basic animations of the characters were telling, like, a lot of storytelling where, you know, a character would, like, find their long-lost brother on the moon, but it would just be, like, this tiny little sprite just going, like, beep boop, beep boop, like, like waving its hands a little. And through the lens of, you know, a young gamer, you're like imagining all this pathos. 
but the there's tons of cutscenes and cinematics in Super Mario RPG. Some are incredible, like the booster wedding kiss, which has all original like graphics and you know is pretty much as close to an FMV as they could do at the time. And others is just Mario just like waving his hands and jumping and like doing all these different, uh, you know, just running through every sprite possible to act out all of these scenes. And it's like kind of amazing how much of the game is spent just kind of watching and enjoying the art assets uh, bounce off each other yeah. to as if it was an animated movie. Yeah, they come up with so many clever ways to make that pop and make that engaging because, again, they're playing to so many different audiences uh, and especially the young people who, again, might not have the same kind of patience for an RPG at the get. You know, it's kind of like RPGs, especially JRPGs, there's like a learned patience mm-hmm. you have to have to enjoy a lot of them, you know. And as a lover of JRPGs, like, it's so worth it to me. Uh, of course, I already mentioned the isometric view. They went with that as they felt it, quote, brought the world of Mario to life, according to Fujioka, and that it, quote, allows us to show Mario's world in a way never seen before. Fujioka said, then for the control problem, we solved that by allowing Mario to move in all eight directions, as opposed to the usual diagonal-only movement of isometric games. That includes dashing and jumping. This is Mario after all. So we talked about how we needed to do more than just walk around the field. And this view allowed Mario to jump onto tiered platforms, avoid enemy encounters, punch question blocks. You know, it's so funny too, because like you said, Mario 64 is about to come out Mm -hmm. and then all this shit is just like not crazy. But this was crazy Mm -hmm. right before that happened. This was such a different thing that we'd never seen before in a Mario game with the isometric. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. This is another hearsay source, but apparently uh, the team at Square, while they were still trying to figure out how the world was going to look and what was going to make it different, they saw what Rare was doing with Donkey Kong Country. You've already had like eight hit at Aprils this episode. I beg of okay. you for restoring. I, I see your wily eyes, Holden. I see your wily fucking eyes. Don't you <laughs> just, don't do it. April they So they saw what Rare was doing with Donkey Kong Country and immediately (laughs) sought to emulate that uh, look and style with their own Silicon Graphics workstation pre-rendered assets. There you go. Thank you, Jake, for that infotainment moment. Uh, We... (laughs) 
And shall we talk about the new characters? Oh yeah, a little bit. I mean, is there there are, there are plenty. It is so odd. You would think, oh, it's a Super Mario RPG. So who's in your party? I'm guessing Luigi. No, Toadstool. Well, you know, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, he is actually right. Is, well, uh, Princess but, Toadstool. No, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, Princess Toadstool. But you know, you know what I'm saying. You know, fuck it, Yoshi. At this point, where's Yoshi? Yoshi's Yoshi's there, and he's feuding with a cool, edgy Yoshi named Boshi. I love that. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's looking. amazing. Yeah, as I, well as Fat Yoshi. We're acknowledging the meme. Fat Yoshi is from this game. Yes, uh, terrorize your friends with Fat Yoshi. It's fun. Okay. Moving on. Absolutely. I call myself Fat Yoshi every day to try to motivate <laughs> myself to be a, a, a better, more in shape man, father for my child. You know what I mean? But uh, alas, it is not so. Five Guys is so good, dude. Oh my God, Jake. And they're opening a Shake Shack up like literally a block Holden, you're going to die. You're going to. I'm going to die. You're going to. I could not believe it when I saw it. I was like, are you kidding me right now? A fucking Shake Shack steps away from And I'm my not apartment. saying cholesterol. I'm saying you're going to become a spherical man like <laughs> Violet Beauregard, and you're going to roll down a hill and yeah. get hit by a train. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to roll until I die. <laughs> but regardless, you know, but yeah, we've, we instead we get Mallow and Gino uh, and uh, we even, and again, we already mentioned it, but it, it was a such a huge deal to have Bowser joining your party, teaming with Mario, like getting this other side of Bowser other than just like Big Bad mm-hmm. was such a cool thing to get. But yes, uh, Mallow, the cloud-like being that uses magic and heals uh, was such an interesting one. And then of course, Gino, the crowd favorite. What, what do you think makes Gino such a hit, Jake? So uh, the thing about, so the thing with Gino is that uh, one of the original illustrators and character designers, uh, Kazuyuki Kurashima, actually shared concept art originally for Gino, and he was a goddamn 90s edgelord. He had, like, a a big-ass sword, uh, you know, not a buster sword, but, like, a real fucking honking sword. He had a ninja mask. He had, like, sonic spiky hair. He had armored pauldrons. They kept refining and refining the character to make him more ninja-like and deadly and savvy. And I think the concept was, and it's a little bit of it is reflected in the final game, is they wanted this like cool warrior character, the kind of which that kids found really popular in the 90s. So whatever the equivalent of Japanese Rob Liefeld was. Like just this edgy, cool, violent hero with a mysterious past who doesn't do a lot of talking. And unfortunately, Miyamoto had already kind of laid out his no violence, no swords kind of deal. And so they kept dialing back the concept further and further back until you got this Pinocchio looking guy with no pants, big brown booties and uh, a little cap and like clock spring hair. And he was this wooden doll. And so in the premise, he is the coolest, most powerful looking action figure in a child's toy collection uh, who also has a Mario toy and a Bowser toy and a Princess Peach toy. And a wandering star spirit comes down from the star road and inhabits the body of the toy to help Mario recover the titular seven stars. And Gino is a glass cannon kind of character. He doesn't, he goes down real easy, but he does all these like flashy kind of cool effects and attacks. He 
shoots like bullets out of his fingers. He shoots like cannons out of his elbows. He does the uh, Geno Blast, which is this amazing like orbital laser slam from the heavens that feels amazing every time you pull it off. And a lot of his, you know, he just kind of like during the victory screen, he just kind of like folds his hands and like nods with his one like angry eye gleaming. Like he's a very cool character, even though he is a Pinocchio looking motherfucker. And I feel like for a lot of kids who especially this is their first time playing an RPG style game, Gino just sticks out as just this magnet for all of their cool aspirations. Gino definitely is like built differently than the rest of the cast. He represents a level of like badass Japanese cool hero-ness that they don't even have the framing to even understand. And it is for that reason why Gino has like just stayed popular within Nintendo fandom, constantly being uh, begged to enter the Smash roster, constantly being featured in fan art, constantly just yearned for by nerds of a specific generation. He got a single cameo appearance in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, and like he got me costumes finally in Smash. He was a me gunner costume, and that was the last we heard of Gino. Because outside of the college-aged internet users in the early 2000s that all agreed Gino kicked ass. He was not that popular of a character. Mallow is just a big crybaby who was raised as a frog. Mm. I will say his thing where when he cries, it causes uh, rain to fall was uh, very dumb until the moment he's reunited with his mommy and daddy off screen, but you just see rain start to fall and you realize that he's crying because he's so happy. And I'm rooting for the little guy. I love Mallow. I say blow his brains no, out. No, Holton, no. It's not Holton, it's me, Trickety Tom, <laughs> the new weird British character <laughs> that we are introducing to the show. I'm Cockney and I like watching cute characters <laughs> explode into guts. <laughs> You're like the Sweeney Todd of Kawaii, is that it? <laughs> Indeed, that is, that is Trickety Tom in a nutshell, Jake. But we'll get into his history at the Trickety Tom episode coming up in a couple weeks. Once we get into our holiday-themed episodes, for because he's, of course, the Lord of Christmas. Uh, but, um, Great. Uh, Great. Yeah, it's, it's, Love it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But uh, yeah, also, we've got to take some time to talk about the music. I think if people aren't hype uh, uh, about Gino, they're hype about this soundtrack. Uh, composed by Yoko uh, Shimamura, a legend. Not the first time we've mentioned this woman's name. No, not at all. I mean, she 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 was playing the piano around the age of four, majored in piano in college. After college, thinking she'd go into the job of piano instructor, Shimamura just sent samples of her stuff to video game companies on a lark as she was an avid gamer, and Capcom brought her in for an interview and gave her a job. At Capcom, Shimamura composed on 16 games, including Final Fight and Street Fighter 2, for which she did all but Fucking three of Guile's the songs. Theme. Yeah. Guile's theme. Or wait, no, wait. Did she? I don't know. She now did I'm, all but three, I'm... so I know. It's like shit. I wonder what, I hope uh, though anyone I could reference is is not one of the three, but there's a lot of, you know, tracks in that as each each stage had a theme. But yeah. Yes, yes. Shimamura did Guile's theme. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's awesome. She's great. 
1993, she ends up leaving Capcom for Square as the fantasy RPGs that Square was making allowed for a more classical approach to her compositions. That's something she wanted to focus more on. So her first score for Square would be for the now classic RPG uh, Live Alive, which uh, they finally yeah. released in America recently on the Switch. I got it. It's awesome. You play through all these different people's stories. It's kind of Octopath Traveler, if you're more familiar with that game. It's kind of like that. You kind of each character has their own individual story, and they're all connected. Uh, and that was in 1994, and that next year, she's working on Super Mario RPG. And for this score, she includes arrangements from Super Mario Bros. by Koji Kondo, as well as tracks by Nobuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy IV in order to mix the two company sounds together. It's just a very like loving tribute to both of the game devs, uh, you know, that secret boss we're about to talk about. Well, you definitely have some major Final Fantasy nods in that fight. I mean, it's literally the Golby's fight music from Final Fantasy IV. I yeah, mean, yeah. Is his theme. Yeah, totally. So it it's cool. It's cool. I what I mean, one of the most iconic tracks that she composed was definitely uh the Gino's Maze track, which I feel like now would be a great time for April to play it somehow. I don't know what the words are to trigger that. Interesting. If she could just if she could just do that for me, that'd be great. Thank you, April. Jake, you know what fruit I love? Bananas. No, you've done it like 50 <laughs> times. This cannot hold. All right, all right, fine. So there is a crazy secret boss in the game. This is a tribute to Final Fantasy named Culex. We opened with it, but I will just say he's got this. Like, I think, I think the most jarring thing is he is totally a 2D sprite uh, ripped out of a Super Nintendo Final Fantasy. Mm. So immediately, and he's... Not just like a 2D sprite. He's clearly like a final boss 2D sprite mm-hmm. ripped out. So it's just he is so like jarring. After you defeated the main bad guy, and then it turns out the main bad guy was worshiping an ancient evil god, and then you defeat the ancient evil god, and then it turns out the core of the universe is evil, and you have to defeat the core of the universe, and Culex looks like the core of the evil universe's second form. Yeah. Just androgynous and winged and sexy and powerful. Yeah, yeah. He When Mario first meets him as he announces himself as Culex Dark Knight of Vonda and says he, quote, crossed into your dimension to fight for the Dark Mage. His whole deal is just a reference to FF. I mean, especially the elemental crystals that fight for him that you kind of have to take out before you can take him out, essentially. Uh, It's a wild battle. We watched it on our study session. Uh, If you want to join us every Sunday via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, every Sunday for 15 bucks a month, we do a study session on uh, Discord. We talk about whatever game or anime or movie or whatever uh, uh, that we're covering that week. We'll watch it or play it. And yeah, we watched this fight. It's, it was such a long fight, by the way. Wasn't it like a 20-minute oh, video? It was 20 minutes. I mean, we cut like around each it. Crystal, we didn't like, watch the whole thing, obviously. But yeah. Because Culex is accompanied by four crystals, which is like the base, you know, MacGuffin of the Final Fantasy series. Each one of the crystals are capable of doing entire party wipe level attacks. And each one has a ton of HP and you have to get through all of them before you can even attempt to get through Uh, The entire enemy party has 12,000 hit points. The whole time, the boss music from Final Fantasy IV is blasting. And uh, weirdly, Culex in Japan is known as Crystaller, Crystaller, 
and uh, is obsessed with the fact that he is a 2D being in a 3D universe and keeps commenting on how bulbous and strange your party looks as he is introducing himself and dies. He's like, is this the power of three dimensions? Impossible. Mm -hmm. I don't know when we'll talk about this, but the game was localized by Ted Woolsey, who uh, was a legendary, for better or for worse, localizer working for Square very closely between 1991 and 1996. A lot of the weirder uh, localization choices uh, are, were happened within, uh, under his guidance. Like there is a move that Mallow can do where he can check the enemy's HP and you can get like some flavor text on the enemy's like, loves or wants or just inner thoughts and in the japanese version it's just called like telepath which is very like fine ted woolsey decided to call it psychopath which he did solely because he thought it would be funny if mallow just had a darker twist on him <laughs> like he's like there's a little bit of woolsey uh contributing to the tone of this game Woolsey also well known for the uh, you spoony bard line from Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> his name, whenever we're talking about this era of Square RPG, you have to mention his name. But a lot of Woolseyisms are found in Super Mario RPG. So the game is released in May of 1996 in Japan. It was the last Square game ever released on the SNES in America, and really the last big game put out on the SNES before the console upgrades. Square ends up moving away from Nintendo over to PlayStation to continue to put out uh, Final Fantasy games, which we already mentioned. Supposedly, supposedly it is during these meetings with Square that they talked about how desperately they want to work on a CD-ROM based console mm. because the the game itself is a I mentioned before a 32 megabit cartridge which was massive for the time even uh with like playing it today there's so many like original locations and graphics and effects like even the like weakest enemies or enemies that you only see in like one section have these very elaborate attack animations. And like, I'm counting the kilobytes in my head, just going like, God damn, they're using a lot of space on this. The cartridge itself also uh, required uh, what was known as the SA one enhancement chip, which uh, allowed uh, basically it allowed the super Nintendo to, how do I explain this? It ran at a, the chip ran at a higher clock speed than the base Super Nintendo, so it could process graphics more effectively and seamlessly switch between predetermined banks of sprites and graphics data and allowed it to more effectively utilize RAM just so they could keep all of this content on screen. The fact that Mario can move in all four directions on these like larger areas is they could not do that without this extra enhancement chip that raised the price of the cartridge, that like made uh, production more difficult, that required more license fees for Nintendo. And during these collaborative meetings, Squares was like going like, like to to do the kind of games you are telling us you want to happen, you need a CD-ROM drive. But CD-ROM drives are harder to protect. They're harder to, you know, you can make unlicensed games. You can make pirated games. I and mean, Nintendo they weren't ran, and Nintendo wasn't wrong about that. That's what the, why the Dreamcast was uh, such a such a fail at the end of the day was because of that issue with with pirating and everything. No, it's because Shadow the Hedgehog is weird and you're weird <laughs> if you like it. And you kiss the human girl and all that <laughs> stuff. But and because one thing you got to realize is uh, Super Mario RPG 
is still just an 18 hour game, essentially. Maybe 20 hours tops if you're like really 20 hours. If you fucking, if you died at every Goomba 20 hours. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just not, you know, I mean, they're, the next game they make, the next big one, Final Fantasy VII, is, uh, you know, up to, I would say, like a 70, 80 hour game, you know? And that's not counting if you decide to like beat Ruby Weapon and then it, it the clock maxes out at 99 hours. Uh, it, it it's yeah totally what exactly what they were trying to do and they could only do it and even that game is three CDs by the way to get the whole game uh in into the PlayStation so yeah it's pretty wild so yeah Nintendo does approach Square to make a sequel to Super Mario RPG and they turn it down they are already penis and balls deep in a production and yes that is what how I wrote it down in my notes uh on Final Fantasy seven so. Nintendo instead brings on Intelligent Systems to make the game for the Nintendo 64DD, which is the failed floppy disk drive peripheral for the N64 that was only released in Japan. Uh, It's closer to a zip drive than a floppy disk, but I'll let that pass. So it does end up coming out on the base N64 instead. Intelligent Systems is a dev group that only makes games for Nintendo, starting with Mario Bros. in 1983, the like weird kind of two-player platformy but just one screen game now we're not talking about super mario bros of course the platformer uh on uh so back on the nes and then later they were responsible for the metroid games fire emblem WarioWare, among many others and uh while getting to work on this game though it maintains certain rpg aspects the game itself started to deviate from its predecessor enough to gain its own ip this is largely thanks to the art style chosen by art director naohiko aoyama uh and that's right we're talking about paper mario literally the opposite of mario rpg's art style yes. which was so bulbous and spherical because of the silicon graphics yeah. uh early cg that this time they're like no everything is flat af yes flatter than a white man's ass and and i mean the paper mario series definitely would not have existed without super mario rpg it was even literally going to be supposed to be the sequel to that game the game also keeps the comedic spirit of the first game uh which holds true for all mario rpgs that have come out since and since the first game there have been five sequels in the paper mario franchise i played all of paper mario the origami king on the switch in the middle of pandemic because it was one of the only bright spots in my life at that time. I would clean a blade, play Origami King for a couple hours, realize I hadn't gotten all of the the grime off of the blade I was cleaning, play more of the game uh, after that, and then realize, like, you're just cleaning the same blade, the grime is in your head. And then uh, finally I would throw throw the blade out the window, hope it didn't hurt somebody, bang a pot in a pan at 5 p.m. to thank some nurses, and then play some more Paper Mario, the Origami King. It was was a wonderful time, Uh, and uh, the Paper Mario series is great. You know, hits and misses, just like any any series of games, but uh, a lot of great stuff in that series, and I I feel like I missed out on a lot of it, too, because I didn't really play a ton of Paper Mario games uh, up until Origami King. I was always more of a fan of the Mario and Luigi yes, saga of RPGs. Uh, because I, and I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, Fujioka was brought in several times, uh, either just as a consultant or as a world designer or even as a composer for a lot of these games. Uh, I feel like they have a m- even more comedic and more kind of like 
cartoony feel. I mean, the art style would suggest that. It's where my favorite use of the Mario dialogue uh, comes in, where they literally reduced Mario and Luigi's like uh, voice lines to just bippity boppity boppity boppity. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Full on racist Italian. One thing I want to talk about is that the I, I just bringing it back for a second because I find this fascinating. When Mario RPG was released, it's it really highlighted just how weird and adrift Nintendo was in this era. Because April, I want you to play a clip from the weird grandpa Super Mario RPG ad that ran in America. This was when Nintendo was still trying to be edgy. Like they were still traumatized by Sega's ad campaigns of the 90s. And so every fucking Nintendo ad had to be nonsensical and grimy and weird. And it's literally an old man explaining the plot of the game. And like his cool tween grandsons are like, this sounds fucking crazy, old man. (laughs) Like just hit this. Let's hear it. All was peaceful in the mushroom kingdom. With his old enemy Bowser in a marshmallow who throws lightning. <laughs> Are you fucking wedding cakes and the killer Venus fly traps and recover the seven stars? Grandpa's <laughs> freaky. Super Mario RPG. Only on the system that keeps on kicking. Super NES. Dig it? Meanwhile, in Japan, they sold the Super Mario RPG with one of the most adorable and cute and catchy jingles I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a fully claymation ad with singing piranha plants, and it is so fucking cute. April, if you can play how they sold it in Japan. RPG Super Mario RPG. Lola playing a game. Like, literally the country that made all the cool edgy games sells their Mario RPG as cute and fun and a nice time. Well, in America, they're like, shit, we can't let people know that children might feel joy playing this. Make it weird and fucked up. I know, this time is so weird. I mean, we talked about this with Kirby. Yeah, all the Kirby Kirby had to have Aang face in every single advertisement in America, even though he's like cute and cuddly in all the Japanese advertisements, for sure. Yeah, it was just- All of Nintendo's marketing in this era is so- So confused, they were fucked. They were like, but honestly, they were totally fucked by the general, uh, like by what was generally being like successful at that time. Because it was all about like twisted metal aesthetic, essentially, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that's what that's what people, including myself, like loved at that time. So you had to like sneak really good games that weren't like edgy into the you know past the goalie <laughs> to to get kids to play it. It's so dumb, but yeah, yeah, it's it's um you know it's amazing. Yeah, and I will say like it's cool to see. That game be successful enough to inspire two franchises between the Mario and Luigi series and Paper Mario series. Unfortunately, uh, Alpha Dream, 
the stu- the studio that made the Mario and Luigi series, they shuttered in, I believe, 2018 or 2019. I think they filed for bankruptcy mm. after the release of Mario and Luigi Paper Jam, which was a crossover with the Paper Mario series. That one was kind of kind of flopped, and uh, they didn't have enough to keep going. But they had a bunch of great games in the series, and they have been released on the... Um, uh, a few of them have been released on the Switch Virtual Console uh, on the G- Game Boy Advance. Uh, and uh, still, so Paper Mario is the only one uh, that still remains as a franchise. I will say also, also, Alpha Dream was founded in the year 2000 by former Square employees, including Chihiro Fujioka, which is why he was brought able to kind of work in a c- consultant capacity with the makers of that series. I mean, in recent years, people have been kind of turning on the Paper Mario franchise as well. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, they're kind of going back to square one Pun intended. with a paper with a Mario RPG remake. That's right. Announced to be released on November 17th, 2023. I can't wait. I was really, really excited when when I saw this announcement. Uh, and though, as Jake did, some may balk at the graphical redesigns that re- removes that isometric Donkey Kong Country look. Uh, I will at least say, at least according to Games Radar, the game is incredibly faithful to the source material. This is from Dustin Bailey's review on that site. The dialogue, the level design, and the minigames are all virtually identical to the point where it often feels like the Switch remake could simply be a lavish skin laid over the Super NES classic. But after spending a few hours comparing both versions of Super Mario RPG, it is clear that the remake is a lovingly crafted adaptation that offers so many wonderful quality of life improvements that it's rough to ever imagine going back. The improvements include fast travels, streamlined menus, and uh, indicators for when you should hit your time button presses in combat for bonus damage. They did tighten those windows a bit, but they made it a lot more clear when you need to hit in order to get that bonus, which I, I think is is helpful. So I, I'm I'm excited. They're also I, adding this. Uh, they're adding like kind of a limit break thing oh, cool. or like a spin on um, the if you remember the triple text. From Chrono Trigger, you get unique special attacks depending on your party makeup and depending on who's in your party during the battle when the uh, attack triggers. It has different effects and different uh, just attack styles, which uh, will, of course, be very flashy and have cool cutscenes every time you have to go through it to the point where by the end of the game, you're definitely mashing the A button to get through. Well, uh, this is that that comes to the end of my coverage uh, on my end, Jake. Do you have anything else you want to say about Super Mario RPG before we do the plugs and get out of here? I never noticed this until I started looking into the uh, Super Mario RPG fandom, but uh, the boss Punchinello, who you meet in the Moleville Mines, looks like he's shaped like a giant bomb after you previously fought a guy that looked like a giant bow and a guy uh, named Mac, who was a giant knife. Uh, and then you later go on to fight a bunch of big axe guys and, uh, you know, all these big weapons. But Punchinello is not part of the Smithy gang. <laughs> he's just some random asshole uh, similar to Bellamy who is just, they just made him up, and it's weird. It's weird that, like, even when they go through all of the members of the Smithy gang that you beat, all of which are weird giant assholes who are shaped like weapons, Punchinello is not among them. He is never mentioned by any of the Smithy gangs, and it's just a design choice I find confusing. It's very odd. You should definitely look up Punchinello. I do have one final quote here. Uh, This is from Trickety Tom. I want y'all kids. 
Give me your kids. Pretty please. Well, there you have it. Oh, so he's gone from hating cute characters to just want murdering children. Yeah, yeah it's a bit. That was a fast turnaround. It's an, evolu- it's an evolutionary character. We're, we're still working on We'll do the Trickety Tom. He's like Trickety Tom, the child murderer, is less whimsical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, he's he's opening up a cake shop, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. For $5 a month, we do bonus episodes weekly where we talk about the games we're playing, stuff happening in the news, just different topics that pop in our heads that we want to want to shout out and, and discuss. Uh, also, for $15 a month, you can join us on Discord for our uh, Sunday study sessions. We cover whatever we're covering. Of course, we watched a lot. Uh, or actually, Jake played a lot of uh, Super Mario RPG, and we watched some stuff on that. I didn't level up right and immediately got, got fucking immediately ba- murdered. I was so by because like that just makes he was just running from fights like a maniac and I just I was just it was just triggered something in me we had to cover the content you didn't want to watch me fucking farm Goombas for an hour I did I did Uh, so anyways, check us out on that and, uh, check me out on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I'm streaming all throughout the week. It's always a good time. Join me on that. Uh, and also check us out on Wednesday nights. Jake and I do Tears of a Clown with special guests. That is on twitch.tv forward slash last podcast network. Jake? If you haven't uh, hit the follow button over on twitch.tv slash lastpodcastnetwork, you are missing out on some amazing shows from all of your LPN favorites. Uh, Spun, Brighter Side, the Zabrowskis do Good Put, and yes... Your your main nerd boys do Tears of a Clown. It is a grand old time. Go go on Twitch, twitch.tv slash last podcast network. While you're there, why don't you look at twitch.tv slash puppet Jared? That's my VTuber avatar. And I do the cartoon dumpster on Thursday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, where we watch weird bad cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Really and really just uh loving Holden. Ozzy and Drix. The Osmosis Jones tie-in cartoon from 2001. This week, we're going to watch what happens when a little kid gets an embolism. (laughs) And it's up to fucking Osmosis Jones to fight the blockage. More power to you. And hey, always remember, never stop whizzing. And keep on bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love. 
all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.